This morning is going to be, um, you know, when you read the Word of God and you study it all week, and then you come and you go, the Lord's going to speak through the message, and the Lord's going to speak through His Word, and this is one of those Sundays in which I think He had us read this passage for a specific purpose, obviously. But God, as we've been praying and fasting, some of us have been fasting through our Awaken series, um, 30 days of prayer. We're on day 15. If you're not, if you're behind, that's okay. Um, Catch up, but it's okay. But we're on day 15 of Awaken. And uh, God is beginning to awaken his people to the beauty of his word, the truth of the gospel. It's a great day to be at Northwest. Amen? Amen. And we're excited about what today holds. Um, We're going to prepare our hearts, not only through prayer and through fasting, but also through the word of God and seeing what the spirit has done and the spirit speaks through his word about what God wants to do in and through his church, the people of God here, right here at Northwest. Last week, we looked at the temptation of Christ in the wilderness and how Christ used prayer and fasting to be able to overcome the enemy's temptations. We saw that God is really all we need. Fasting helps us to place our desires in the right place, in the right order, so that we can enjoy the blessings that God has for us. Today, we looked at the sending church of Antioch. Now, if you've ever read through Acts and you read through the church in Antioch, it is a significant church in the New Testament. The first 12 chapters really deal with Peter and the Jerusalem church. And then all of a sudden in Acts chapter 13, there's a switch and we start to deal with Paul and the Gentile church. And this is the beginning of the gospel going to the Gentiles, the first church of the Gentiles. And guess what? They are a sending church. They seek the face of God. They are people who are deeply committed to the word of God, and they are spirit-filled, as we'll see in this text this morning. And the spirit of God leads this church in Antioch to send people on mission for the glory of God. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful story. This is preparing for being on mission. Turn with me to Acts chapter 13, verse 1. If you'll stand with me, we honor God's word this morning as the the scripture, the true word of God, as we read God's word in Acts chapter 13, verse 1. It's on page 921 in the pew and Bible in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, you can read along with us. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menain, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord... 
and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. That's John Mark, by the way, if you're wondering who that is. The word of the Lord. You guys can be seated. Let's pray as we get started this morning. Pray over our time together. Father, we ask that your word would speak to our hearts that you would call us to do your will and your way. We ask that you would be, Father, everything that we do would be for you and for your glory. We we pray and ask, Lord God, that you would cause us to desire to be a spirit-filled church. And Father, fill this spirit-filled church with spirit-filled Christians who are ready to be led to where you call us, ready to do what you call us to do. And Lord, we know it's not easy. We know that the task is difficult. We know that it is out of our comfort zone. We know that we will face the enemy. And yet, Father, we go because we love you. And we believe in the message of the gospel, that it is the message unto salvation. And we proclaim that message. Father, may we be a church that proclaims the truth of the word of God boldly and accurately. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I don't know if you know this, but Jordan and I went to Tulsa right after school. I I finished, graduated, had my first first job, real job, okay? Not, Not just lifeguarding or doing camps in the summer, but my first job Um, We graduated school and we got married all within like a two-week period, okay? So it was kind of a a big deal. We went to Tulsa, and I can remember um, about midway through our time there, I was only there about a year, year and a half, but about midway through our time there, accounting firm called me into the office. Uh, I was working for an accounting firm, and one of the guys called me in the office and said, son, we're sending you. I said, what? What are you talking about? (laughs) He said, we're sending you to Oregon to one of our clients to do an inventory count. I said, what, do you, what does that mean? I, I don't even know what that is, right? And uh, he said, son, you're going to go count trees. So, uh, <laughs> so you know, the, the new guy who just graduated college goes to Oregon to count trees. I'm a little nervous. I've, I've never gone to this place, done this thing. I've really never done this before. So I'm like, Jordan, why don't you come with me and be my moral support, right? And so we're newly married, and she's, she's coming with me, and I'll work that, that week, and we can go visit some sites on the weekend. So we book this flight, right? Company pays for it. We get this hotel room. Company pays for it. We get a rental car. The company pays for it. And we drive to this tree farm. I I drive to the tree farm and I get out and they hand me this sheet and they say, all right, son, you're going to count these two type of trees. And I kind of look at the sheet and I kind of look back at the guy and I'm going, this this isn't very much. And he's like, well, this is, this is, this is, 
This is what we have inventory of you're supposed to count. And I, was, I looked at the sheet, and I was like, you want me to count 100 trees? No lie. You flew me all the way out here, <laughs> paid all this money <laughs> to count to 100? Like, literally, that's what I did. I, I was thinking, I am sent for this? What was the purpose of that, right? Other than just to pay a lot of money, and you're paying me a lot of money just to come out here and count a hundred trees. Around that time, Jordan and I felt a call that the Lord may be sending us overseas. It would be to Thailand. We didn't know at the time, but the Lord would be leading us to a place that we had never been to do something that we have never done before. Only this time, the purpose was so much greater than counting trees. You see, this village in Thailand that God would lead us to was called the, the Kun people, a group of people, about 7,000 people living in three villages in the middle of Thailand, and they had 0% Christians. That means there was no known Christians at the time in which we went, according to the statistics. For generations, these people in their own language, in their own culture, had worshipped idols. They'd worshipped the Buddha at every day at their children's school. They'd been taught how to pray to the Buddha. And yet people really, in their homes, worshipped demons. Every morning, these people, for hundreds of years, out of fear, would offer food to their spirit house, looked like a little dollhouse in their backyard, to appease these spirits. Every full moon, the community would, would gather together and they present offerings of boiled pork meat, chicken, fruit, rice, and flowers at special events in which they would call upon these spirits to come and grant them protection and grant them harvest. We didn't know at the time, and yet the Spirit of God was sending us to proclaim a message of the gospel to a people that did not know the gospel to proclaim the word of God to a people in which it had never gone before. They had never heard of the good news. They had never heard of the creator God who created all things in six days. They had never heard of this God who would love his creation so much that he would send his son to die on a cross for them. And you see, this is what is happening in Acts chapter 13. It's been 25 years since Pentecost, since the Spirit came, and they proclaimed the message of Christ for salvation to the, in Jerusalem. The church has exploded on the scene. The church has grown. It has developed. The church has gone from Jerusalem into Judea. It has gone from Judea into Samaria. And now it is going to the ends of the earth. And thus we see in the church in Antioch a Christ-centered church. A church that has godly qualified leaders. A church that is proclaiming the gospel. A church that is exploding on the scenes. A church that is fasting and praying. A church committed to the word of God. And this becomes the base camp for sending the gospel to the nations. It becomes a church in which the spirit of God actually leads the people. It is a church where the people are awakened to what God wants to do in and through them. So look at verse 1 with me. We're going to stay here for a while. 
And some of the key elements of this church in verse 1 is seen here. It is the leadership of the church. And it mentions them by name. These men of God that lead the church to be spirit-filled. Let me read verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menane, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. This is our first point this morning. Healthy churches have qualified leaders. Healthy churches have qualified leaders. This is a very diverse group of men who come together under the banner of Christ and make his name known. The, the church in Antioch, if you see right there in verse 1, now there was in the church at Antioch. Now we find its roots of Antioch in chapter 11. One of the leaders of this church. His name is Lucius of Cyrene. Cyrene is actually in North Africa. It's modern day Libya. You've probably seen that on the news at some point. Libya, not a great place to live today, but he was from North Africa. Some believe that he was actually the son of Simon the Cy- of Cyrene. Now Simon of Cyrene is the one who carried the cross of Christ up to Calvary. Acts 11.19 tells us of those from Cyrene who have influenced the advancement of the message of the gospel to the Gentiles. Let's read together in Acts chapter 11, verse 19, about the, the Cyrenes. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, now God God is telling us something here. He's telling us that, that the reason why the gospel is going forth is as a result of God's plan through the persecution of the martyr Stephen. He traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. So the gospel is going forth. It's going forth only to Jews, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene. There you go, Cyrene, North Africa, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And guess what? Verse 21 says, The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. They repented. They turned to Christ. Now, we see the Cyrenes, Uh, Lucius coming up and sharing the gospel. This is the beginnings of the church in Antioch. Now, we have another leader we need to mention. His name is Barnabas. Now, Barnabas, his name means the son of encouragement. He's sent by the mother church in Jerusalem. He's well-educated. He's sent from the mother church in Jerusalem to see what this explosion of the gospel is about in Antioch. He's come to make sure that their teachings are biblical, their theology is sound, they're sharing the gospel accurately. He is Jewish, just like Saul. So here we go in verse 22 of Acts chapter 11. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. 
What a man of God right there. Be faithful with purpose. That's the message of Barnabas. That's encouragement. Be faithful with purpose, church. Be faithful with purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Now, as a result of not only the Spirit, the hand of the Lord with them, but godly men who are faithful to the Lord, the full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and many people are added to, to the Lord. Okay, so Barnabas, we see Lucius, we see Barnabas. Now we see another leader in Acts chapter 13. His name is Saul. He's the last one mentioned. We know Saul's story of miraculous transformation from a man who hated the church, who hated the gospel, to a man who finds Christ, gives his life to proclaim the message of Christ. And he will be the one who goes and plants and proclaims the message of the gospel. Barnabas knows that God has chosen Paul as an instrument to the Gentiles, and Barnabas sees this work of God as a movement of God into the Gentiles, and he goes, I'm putting one and two together here. Paul is chosen to go to the Gentiles. God is moving amongst the Gentiles. We must go and find Paul. So 25, so Barnabas went, chapter 11 of Acts, verse 25, so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So not only do you have Barnabas, the one who comes from the mother church, you have the Cyrene, Lucius, but you also have Saul pretty, making a pretty big power team here. And you have this other man, his name is Simeon, who's called Niger. It means black or dark. That's what his name means. He's probably from Cy- Cyrene as well. Some believe that this is actually Simon himself, the man who carried Jesus's cross, but we're not sure who he is. And then you also have Menane. Menane, it tells us, it gives us a little bit more information about Menane. He's from the, the court of Herod the Tetrarch. That means that Menane is an aristocrat. He hangs out with politicians. He hangs out with rich people. He's highly political official who is now a leader in the church. So you got it all. Former murderers who have been radically transformed. You have the son of encouragement. You have generational followers of Jesus from Cyrene. You have men from all over the world, but all trained in the scriptures, men who uphold the word of God, and they're leading the church well. These men are legit, right? As we would say in today's culture. They were as... Paul says in 1 Timothy, qualified leaders. Later in the established church in Ephesus, there is a term that Paul uses for the Ephesian church. He calls them overseers, elders, or pastors. The word is interchangeable, overseer, elder, and pastor, and it represents the functional role of leaders within God's church. And and guess what? Paul has qualifications for these leaders that he lines out later in Scripture. This is what he says in 1 Timothy 3.1. This is 
This is important. Don't skim over this. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Okay? You can just read through those things, but guess what? This guy is living it out. Right? It's, it's not just something that he teaches on the side. This is not just a, 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 a part-time, when I'm in the church, I'm, I'm doing these things, and when I'm out, I'm doing my own thing. No, this is an everyday living life for the gospel. This is his life. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil. Guess what the devil wants to get? He wants to take out your pastors. He wants to take out your leaders in the church. And God says, no, these men represent, they are an example of to the flock of what we are supposed to do, how we are supposed to live. It is a weighty task for sure. There are churches all over the world with unqualified men in leadership of churches. They're unable to teach the word of God correctly and they drag down the entire church. The Lord God speaks to the prophet Hosea about priests and their people. And he says this in Hosea 4, 6, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge Talking to the priest, you have rejected the word, the knowledge of truth. I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. He says later in this passage, like the people, like the priest, like people. Jesus looks at the multitude in Matthew 9 and saw them scattered and saw them really ripped and torn. And he says they were as a sheep without a shepherd. A while back, a few years ago, I preached through the book of 1 Corinthians. If you're familiar with the, first, the, the book of 1 Corinthians, the church is a wreck. It is a mess. There is chaos throughout the book of 1 Corinthians to that church. And never once does he make any reference to a pastor. He never makes any reference to an elder when Paul writes the book of 1 Corinthians. There is no leadership in the Corinthian church. That's a problem. Spirit-filled churches are led by spirit-filled men of God. In this passage, we see five spiritual men, five godly preachers and teachers, a motley arrangement for sure, Jews and Gentiles, wealthy and common, all chosen, all controlled by the Spirit of God. But there's a principle here, and we'll see why here in a minute. But the church is always to be led by, and listen carefully, it is to be led by a plurality 
of godly men. Church is never to be under the leadership of one man who rules alone. There is always to be that plurality of godly leaders in the church. Nowhere in scripture does it refer to a church with a singular elder or a pastor or a overseer. The church is best with the plurality of leadership. It is always talked about as a plurality of leadership. The apostles in the church in Jerusalem were a plurality. The elders in Ephesus were a plurality. The appointment of elders in the book of Titus and Creek was a plurality. It always refers to the plurality, and we see this as a benefit. Why? We see it right here in Scripture as we read through these first five book, verses of Acts chapter 13. It's a, it's a benefit to Antioch. Why? Because our God is a sending God. And a church led by the Spirit, guess what? Multiplies. And it loses no momentum or ability to function properly when it sends two of its most important leaders, Barnabas and Saul. Antioch still thrives. You see, if the church culture is built around one man, when that man leaves or he dies or he gets sick or he falls, the church goes into chaos. Now, I have to address, I could go on and on about this, but I'm not going to, but I have to address the prophets and the teachers as he uses those terminology as leaders. They're referring here as a different aspect of their teaching. Some are teachers, meaning they're expositing the Word of God. They're opening the Word of God and teaching from the Word of God. And more are some, some are more prophetic in that they are applying the Word of God into the lives of the people and their situation. A definition of a prophet simply is someone who speaks the Word of God to others. We're speaking the word of God to others. We're not talking about a lady in heavy makeup with jet black hair on TBN asking you to, to call in and, and, and saying, if you give money, we'll heal you, right? We're not saying that. That's not a prophet, okay? That's a false prophet. We're talking about someone speaking the truth from the spirit into the life of another person, okay? Prophets never contradict the word of God, I, I, I preached a sermon in 1 Corinthians 14, and prophecy does three things. It builds up, it encourages, and it consoles, okay? Builds up, encourages, and consoles from 1 Corinthians 14. Good pastors do all of these things according to the word of God and applying it into the life of others. These men are prophets and their teachers, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. That's 2 Timothy 2.15. That's what we live by in our leadership and what we do as pastors. We rightly handle the word of truth, okay? So good thing. We are done with verse 1. Thank you very much. We are done with verse 1. All right. We are moving on. We are moving quickly to verse 2. All right. Here we go. Verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. 
Now I want you to zoom in or look really closely at what they're doing. While they were worshiping the Lord. Some of your translations, the NASB and the King James Version, they say ministering to the Lord. Okay, I like that translation. The word connotates some type of ministering or, or, or office or what they're doing is they're, they're working for the Lord. The thought here is these church leaders are leading the church to look to God because they themselves are looking to God. They're ministering to the Lord. Have you ever wondered what the duty of a leader in the church is? Do you think we just kind of sit around and eat bonbons six days a week and then come on Sunday and just preach the sermon, right? Some people think that. I've heard that before. But this is what we are to do, to minister to the Lord. What does that mean? To serve the Lord, to fast and to pray. And how is the Lord served? He is served in the dissemination of, the, of his word and in prayer. That's what Acts chapter 6 is about. The apostles said we have to give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word of God. We have to preach the word. We have to teach the word. We have to apply the word into the life of people. And oh, by the way, we need to be praying. We need to spend time with the Lord. We need to have fellowship and relationship with the Lord. So when we speak, it is not from us. It is from the spirit of God in us. And in a meeting I was at about four years ago, someone said, it's the job of the pastor to serve the people. And I said, I'm sorry, but I'm here to serve the Lord. And in the process of serving the Lord, I'm going to serve you as a servant leader but I'm not here for you. I'm here for the Lord. And out of my love for him and my service and my devotion to him alone, that is what overflows into the life and the love of others and God's people in his church. And I'm not here to serve people because then I would be tempted to compromise the message of truth, to be liked by people. You see, what the, what the passage is saying here is they're, they're worshiping the Lord. They're ministering to the Lord. Leaders, godly leaders, serve the Lord. They're offering their service and teaching the word of God, an act of worship spending their time in prayer. They're giving to the church what it really needs, the truth of the word of God and the application of that truth. And out of this act of worship, through the teaching of the word and the prayer, the church is led by the Spirit of God. Verse 2, while they were worshiping, ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. I, I love reading that. Because I, I read that and I go, well, what is the work that you've called them to do? 
Where are they to go? What, what, what strategy do they have? What, what strategy do you have, Spirit? What, what should we do? It, it doesn't say. It's so interesting. When, when a church is led by the Spirit, oftentimes it's led by the Spirit, not by man's strategies. Healthy churches are led by the Spirit. This is point number two this morning. Healthy churches are led by the Spirit. Notice, who does the Spirit take? Barnabas and Saul. We'll see that they're probably some of the best. I don't know about these other three guys and their character and their ability to teach, but we know Saul and Barnabas' ability was high. The Spirit takes the first and the best. The principle of first fruits. It's not we need this person or what about our church. It's not about our community group or our momentum, but it's set them apart for the work that I have them to do. The Spirit is doing what the Lord wants to further His kingdom, to send His messengers out to proclaim the gospel where it has not been proclaimed. Now, don't get me wrong. Spirit-led churches are always baptizing. There's always an addition to their number. Why the Spirit is moving. The Word is being proclaimed. But Spirit-led churches are sending churches. Galatians 5 talks about what it means to walk in the Spirit. Ephesians 5 talks about being filled with the Spirit. And in these cases, the the people are controlled by the Spirit. He is leading them because they are completely reliant upon Christ in faith. They are denying the fleshly desires of this world. As Ephesians 5.24 says, And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. It's a Christ-centered individual. Colossians 3 says this in 15, and let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. Who's on the throne? Is it the peace of Christ? To which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. When I, when I, heard us sing this morning in worship, I heard a people that were thankful. Maybe I'm wrong, but I heard a people that were grateful for their God to be a part of what God's doing here. You know, a spirit-led church is a kind of church that not only impacts its city, but its state. It's country and the world. This church denies its own interest and says, all that I need is God. And guess what? God uses it to reach the entire Gentile world with the message of Christ. Notice a few things here. They're devoted to the Lord in fasting. 
They're denying themselves food for the practice of recognizing their need for God. Also notice how these men were not in some room concocting strategies of how they're going to plant 30 churches throughout the known Gentile world. Literally, they're worshiping, they're ministering to the Lord, and the Spirit is calling them to do what they need to do. I'm not telling you where, I'm not telling you how, but I'm sending you. You go be faithful. Guess what? When we got on the, off the plane in Thailand, we had no clue what God was going to do or how he was going to do it. We had complete and utter reliance upon him. We have to trust that God is going to accomplish his will. But guess what? When these guys go, guess what happens? And a spirit-led church, spirit-led individuals that are on mission, guess what happens? The enemy, he doesn't like that. No, he doesn't. And it's not going to be easy. There's not some easy button that you push from Staples, right? It doesn't happen like that. The enemy enemy does not go down without a fight. If you keep reading, Paul and Barnabas go to Salamis, And they encounter opposition from a magician who is controlled by Satan. Look at verse 8 with me down further. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. The people that they're sharing the gospel to, this guy is opposing and calling them away from the faith. But Saul, who was called Paul, filled with this Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Now, I don't advise this, okay? If you're thinking, this is what I need to do when I go on mission. No. You need to trust that God will overcome the enemy, though. Because the enemy will attack. These 14 teams, get ready. And you need to trust God through the hard circumstances leading up to September 27th, on September 28th. But guess what? The enemy doesn't like spirit-led churches. He doesn't like gospel-centered Christians. He doesn't like the proclamation of the word of God. And yet those who trust in God do not fear what the enemy can do. Let's look, let's finish here. Then after fasting and praying, verse 3, then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist. And this is our last point this morning. Healthy churches are sending churches. Healthy churches have qualified leaders. Healthy churches are led by the Holy Spirit. And last of all, healthy churches are sending churches. They not only send the people of God that gather together every week, 
into their own communities, but they send people that raise up and which are led by the Spirit across the nations to plant churches for the glory of God. Paul and Barnabas are those people. They proclaim the word of God. They go throughout the whole island. And guess what? Before they go, the whole church comes around them and they fast and they pray and they lay their hands on them to send them out. Now, we do this, we've done this often recently at the commissioning at the end of our services, which we lay our hands on our people and we send them out. If they're going for a short term, for a long term, community advance, whatever the ministry is, we're sending them out in a sign that we agree that the Spirit is leading them to proclaim the message of the gospel. A better translation, actually, than sending them out is actually they, they let them go. And this, this, is the, this is the sending church, right? You're not keeping, you're not holding on to, but you're willing to give because you know how much God has given to you and you know the ultimate goal is to produce believers that worship the Lord God Almighty. Northwest is ripe to be ascending church all over the world. We are in a position to be a church that sends. I'm not talking about one or two missionaries overseas. I'm talking about hundreds of missionaries overseas. And we begin today with 14 groups that are going throughout our city for many mission trips. 